Yes, I, I mean, heaven is a real place. I believe that one day we'll be completely redeemed with him and, and heaven and be, uh, be completely whole again. I'm optimistic that heaven is a real place. I hope it is. I mean, I don't think that I'll ever know for sure. It's not a fact in my life, but it's something that um, I'm hopeful about. I do believe there is heaven and hell, but I'm not really sure about it. I don't know as far as the location, longitude, and latitude, but I know how to get there, and I know that that's where I'll be. Heaven is a real place, and that's where I'm going after this. And I don't believe in heaven, but I do believe that some, that people do see a light. I do, I do think that whether it's heaven itself or whatever, I don't know what it is, um, but I do believe that they see something. Well, I think it absolutely is a real place. Um, in the Bible, which is a book that um, I believe in and I trust, it talks about how um, we're all given a room specifically for us um, made in heaven. And um, it talks a lot about, about the glories of uh, what it means to be there. It talks about how, how you don't need lights and God will illuminate the place. And I don't know, I 100% believe that what the Bible talks about is accurate and it's just a beautiful image in my head. some people who are alive right now already visited heaven. Have you ever wondered about that? How do you make sense of all of these books and experiences of people who say, we died, we went to the other side, we saw what God has prepared for us, and we've come back to tell you all about it. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Have some people already experienced heaven? Now, first of all, we need to begin by defining by what we mean by a near-death experience. The International Association for Near-Death Studies, can you believe such a group exists, but there is, an International Association of Near-Death Studies defines a near-death experience this way. It is, quote, a profound psychological event that may occur to a person close to death, or if not near death, in a situation of physical or emotional crisis. And it includes transcendental and mystical elements. Here are some common components of near-death experiences many people claim to have had today. The sensation of floating upward and viewing the scene around one's dead body. Traveling through a tunnel or a dark space toward a light. Time spent in a beautiful, otherworldly realm. Meeting God, Jesus, and or angels. Encountering deceased loved ones, relatives, and friends. The story of one's life passing in review as if he were watching a movie. The sensation of overwhelming peace and love though some have reported experiencing terrifying scenes of demons and distress, approaching a barrier of some sort, signaling a point of no return, and being called back and reluctantly agreeing to turn, return to one's body and life. Many people claim to have had these experiences, but whether they are valid or not, nobody can deny their popularity. People buy these books by the millions. Why are these books so popular? 
Why are we so fascinated with people who claim to have had a near-death experience? I think there's two reasons for the popularity of this movement. I think one reason for the popularity of these books is the fact that we all have a natural curiosity about the unknown. But secondly, the popularity is partly due to our longing for heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed in every one of us eternity in our hearts. We have a, a desire to know what God is preparing for us. We know there's more to life than what we're experiencing right now. The question is, where do we turn to find answers about what God has prepared for us? In 1 John 4 verse 1, the apostle warns, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I don't care how well-intentioned, how godly somebody is, if they have an experience, we need to test their experience against the truth of God's word. Remember the Bereans in Acts chapter 17? They listened to the great apostle Paul preach, but Acts 17, 11 says, after Paul preached, the Bereans searched the scriptures to see if these things were true or not. I don't care whether it's the apostle Paul, Robert Jeffers, Colton Burpo, whoever it is, every word needs to be tested by the truth of God's word. And that leads to the question, are near-death experiences biblical? How do we know that these experiences are simply not chemical reactions that the brain produces in times of stress that can lead to the sensation of light? Uh, there are chemicals today uh, that are available to people that produce uh, in the brain an out-of-body uh, feeling, an experience. On the other hand, if a near-death experience leads somebody to faith in Christ or causes them to make great and correct changes in their life, who are we to deny that their experience is real? What we need to do is examine these experiences in the light of Scripture. And so today, in the few moments we have left, I would like to share with you seven principles for evaluating near-death experiences. And along the way, we're going to learn something real about heaven as well. Seven principles for evaluating near-death experiences. Principle number one, remember, near-death is not death. Near-death is not dead. Nearly dead people aren't dead people. The Bible is very clear on this point. You only die once. Hebrews 9.27 says, each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Now, I can already hear the protestations coming from you. I can hear it. Only die once. What about Lazarus? What about Jairus' daughter? What about the son of the Shunammite woman? Over and over and over again, the Bible gives accounts of God raising people from the dead. And then they die again. Everybody who was raised from the dead in the Bible, every one of them had to die again. They died twice. What about those cases where God raised people from the dead? Well, we have a word to describe those events. Miracles. We don't call them usuals, we call them miracles. And the reason we call them miracles is because they are the exception to the rule, they're not the rule. 
But in every one of those cases where God raised somebody from the dead, in not one of those cases did they ever tell about what they saw on the other side. Not one single time. Nearly dead is not dead. The only people who get to go to heaven are those who have actually died, not nearly died. Let me illustrate that for you if I can. Let's say you have some friends who live in San Antonio. And they have never visited Dallas before. But they've always wanted to come to Dallas. And so they call you up and they say, you know what? We're finally going to make our trip to Dallas this weekend. We wish we had time to see you, but we're going to be so filled with activities. We want to see all the sites in Dallas. Can you give us some hints? So you give them some things that they ought to do while they're in Dallas. So the weekend passes. Monday, you call them and said, how did you like your trip to Dallas? They said, oh, it was beyond anything we could possibly imagine. We'd always wanted to go to Reunion Tower and eat at that restaurant we've heard about, that new restaurant. And so we got on the escalator and we rode all the way to the top, to the sixth floor. And we ate at that Pizza Hut they have at the top there, that really fine restaurant. You think, Pizza Hut, six floors. And then they said, we went from there to Clyde Warren Park. And we were really surprised to see all those oil derricks right there in the middle of Clyde Warren Park. But we figured, hey, this is Texas. What else do you expect? But they said, the highlight of the trip was when we went to Thanksgiving Square. And we got to see what we've always wanted to see. There was big text right in the middle of Thanksgiving Square. Oh, it was a great sight right there in the center of the city. You're thinking, oil derricks, pizza huts, big text. Are you sure you came to Dallas? Your friend says, well, not really. We made it as far as Waxahachie, but then our car broke down. We never actually made it to Dallas. We almost got there. We had an NDE, a near Dallas experience. <laughs> Can you trust the information somebody would give you about a near Dallas experience? No. The only people who can tell you what is really in Dallas are those who have been to Dallas or they've read a reliable book about it. And the same thing is true with heaven. The only people who can tell you with accuracy what is in heaven are only those who have been to heaven, and you have to be dead to get to heaven. The only other way you know about heaven is from what God has recorded in his book. Remember, near death is not death. Second principle, the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient. You know, the presupposition behind books like Heaven is for Real or To Heaven and Back and so many of these other books written by Christians, the basic presupposition is the Bible is good, but it's not sufficient. There is more information out there God wants us to have about heaven, and he's given me that information to share with you for $22.95. That's the basic presupposition behind all of these accounts. But listen to what the Apostle Paul said about the sufficiency of God's Word. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul wrote these words to comfort the Thessalonian Christians. They believed that Jesus was going to come back in their day. But then their loved ones started to die. And they had a question for Paul. Our loved ones are dying all around us. They've died before Christ returns. Are they going to miss out on heaven? Notice how Paul answers their question. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. 
By the way, that's the term the Bible uses to a Christian, for a Christian when he dies. He falls asleep. That doesn't mean his soul goes to sleep. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Falling asleep refers to what happens to the physical body. It's placed in the ground. It is asleep until the great resurrection when we receive our new body. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. God's not forgetting about your loved ones who have died. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we will not go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. And then he gives the order of what's going to happen at the rapture when the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Paul said, here's everything you need to know about the future God has for you and your loved ones. I suppose in the last 35 years, I've, there's no telling how many hundreds and hundreds of funeral services I've conducted. And every time I conduct a service, I read from this passage of scripture, and I read Revelation 21, verse 4, that says, but God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death or mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. I have never, ever felt the need to reach into some secular book to give additional information about heaven. Every time I read those verses from God's word and look into the eyes of those on the front two rows who have lost a loved one, I see God's word bring comfort and peace to them. That is the power of God's word. God's word is sufficient. We don't need any so-called extra biblical revelation. Number three, and this is key. Adding to or taking away from the Bible is condemned by God. Adding to or taking away from the Bible is condemned by God. You know, the best explanation of what heaven is going to be like and what our future is going to be like is found in the book of the Revelation. Remember, it was given to John. It was a revealing, an unveiling of Jesus Christ given to John when he was on the island of Patmos. Some people say, well, John had a near-death experience when he saw all of this. No, he didn't. He wasn't anywhere near dead. He was alive and doing just fine. But God gave him a limited view of what happens in the future. And he told John to write the things down, some of them. But he told John not to write down other things. But after John received the revelation, notice the closing words of this book in verses 18 to 19 of Revelation 22. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life, from the holy city, which are written in this book. Anyone who says, God has given me a revelation about what heaven is like, is treading on dangerous ground by adding to what God has revealed in his book. I mean, do we really want to accept what four-year-old Colton Burpo says, that God has two wings and the Holy Spirit is blue in color? Do we really believe that, or is that not adding to the word of God? Number four, 
Question the identity of any being of light. Question the identity of any being of light. So many people who have had a near-death experience claim that they have met God or angels or some undefined uh, deity. In many cases, they claim to have seen Jesus Christ. But the messages that Jesus supposedly gave them is completely contradictory to Scripture. I've read accounts of people who have said, I saw Jesus and he told me sin is not a problem, or there is no hell, or all people are welcomed into heaven, or every religion is equally true. Listen, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that Jesus in heaven does not contradict what Jesus said on earth. Jesus said on earth, all religions are not the same. He said, all roads don't lead to heaven. There is one way to heaven, and it is through faith in me. That's why we need to take seriously the warning of 1 Timothy 4.1, in which Paul says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. You say, Pastor, do you believe some of these experiences are demonic? I certainly do. When people say they saw an, a light, a bright light, and a divine being telling them everyone's coming to heaven, doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, Hindu, or atheist, I welcome everybody in, into heaven. When anybody says they saw a bright light telling them that, I believe them. I believe them 100%. But the bright light they saw was not God. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He is a deceiver. He is deceiving people into what awaits them on the other side. That's why we need to be careful of any so-called being of light who preaches a message that contradicts Scripture. And that leads to a fifth principle. When you talk about near-death experiences, beware of the occult. It is amazing when you read these accounts of near-death experiences, how similar they are to experiences people have with the occult. For example, both the occult and near-death experiences share in common out-of-body experiences and contacts with those on the other side. And in both cases, both the occult and near-death experiences, people who have these experiences claim psychic powers. Did you know many people after a near-death experience believe that they have psychic powers? They have the uh, power of clairvoyance, that is the ability to discern information about the past, present, or future by other than natural means. Some claim that they've developed uh, telepathy, that is the ability to send or receive messages to other people simply from their thoughts. Uh, Diane Kikorin is the president of the International Association for Near-Death Studies. In an article with uh, the Atlantic Magazine, she made this observation about the connection between psychic powers and near-death experiences. Many people, she said, don't realize for years that they've had a near-death experience, and they piece it together only after they notice the effects, effects that may include influence on electrical equipment. 
She says at one conference of NDEers, the hotel's computer system went down. Kerkorin's explanation, she said, you put 400 experiencers of near death in a hotel together, something's going to happen. Now, whether or not you believe these NDEers had the power to crash a computer system or not, if they did have that power, that power did not come from the kingdom of light. It came from the kingdom of darkness. Any claims of psychic powers or unusual abilities like clairvoyance and telepathy, those are associated with Satan himself. A sixth consideration, that is Jesus' death and resurrection are central to any revelation from God. Anybody who claims to have a revelation from God, if it's true, Jesus' death and resurrection will be central to his revelation. Turn over to Acts chapter 9 for just a moment. Did you know some people today think the Apostle Paul had a near-death experience on the road to Damascus? Look at Acts 9 verse 3. And it came about that as Paul or Saul journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. Now, some people say, hey, that's a near-death experience, big light, you know, life change. That's a near-death experience. Four reasons this was not a near-death experience. First of all, Paul was very much alive and nowhere near death when this happened to him. And secondly, this light that Paul saw was not just some metaphysical light. It was a real light that literally blinded him for days. Third, when he told this account to King Agrippa, he never once remotely gave any description that resembled a near-death experience. And finally, and most importantly, the Jesus Paul encountered is the Jesus who told him, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go into all the world and preach that salvation is available only through faith in me. He gave Paul the mission of preaching the exclusive message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Not some general feel-good message that says God loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven. It was a very specific message that there is only salvation through Jesus Christ. And that leads to a seventh and most important consideration about near-death experiences. And that is, the Bible doesn't record any near-death experiences. Not once, not a, no record whatsoever of near-death experiences. As I mentioned, there are accounts of God raising people from the dead in the Bible, but none of these people who were raised from the dead told about what they saw on the other side of the grave. Let's look at a couple of these for just a moment. Take the case of Lazarus. Lazarus died he was dead for four days until Jesus came, stood in front of the sepulcher, and said, Rise, a Lazarus. Rise, a Lazarus, from the dead. And as you know, Lazarus stumbled out of that sepulcher, and they unbound him, and, and he was joyous, and the people couldn't believe what they saw. But 
Not once, not once did Lazarus preach to the assembled crowd or ever tell his sisters what he saw on the other side of death. You find no record of that. Or look at the example of Jesus. Did Jesus have a near-death experience? He was on the cross. But in all of his utterings on the cross, he gave no indication that he was going down a tunnel and seeing a bright light. There was no otherworldly experience whatsoever. After he died, he was buried in the tomb. On Sunday morning, he was raised from the dead. He was in his new resurrection body. He spent 40 days on the earth preaching, ministering to people. Not once in those post-resurrection appearances did Jesus say a word about what he saw on the other side. Some people think that Stephen, the first Christian martyr, came as close to having a near-death experience as anyone. Turn over to that passage in Acts chapter 7, and let me show you something very interesting. Verse 54, now when they, that is the Jewish officials, heard Stephen's speech condemning them, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Some people say, that sounds like a near-death experience to me. Well, it does until you examine things a little bit closer. First of all, Stephen's vision of heaven occurred before they picked up the first stone and threw at him. What he saw happened before they started stoning him. Look on, it's not till verse 59. They went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord. Now, this was not near death. This was apart from death. Secondly, Stephen's vision, what he saw was a general vision, not unlike what Isaiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel saw. There's no new information here at all. But finally... And most importantly, the reason Stephen's experience doesn't qualify as a near-death experience is because Stephen actually died. He actually died. And he hasn't come back yet to tell us what he saw on the other side. The only other consideration, and I think perhaps the most interesting one, is the Apostle Paul himself. Didn't the Apostle Paul have a near-death experience in which he was taken up to heaven? Well, listen to the words of 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. Paul said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, Paul was so humble, he didn't want to say, I'm the one who had this experience. He didn't want people probably pestering him with questions. Well, what was it like? What was it like? So he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows, but such a man was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven is where God is right now. It's the abode of God. And Paul said, I had an experience. I had an experience in which I was caught up into the presence of God. I don't know if it was my actual literal body that was taken up to heaven, or it was a metaphysical out-of-body experience. Only God knows that. But I was taken up to heaven. And what did Paul see? He goes on to say in that chapter, God told me, not to utter a word about what I saw. Now think about that. Here is Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament. Paul, the greatest theologian the world has ever known. And God says to him, don't you write a word of it down. I mean, if God wanted us to have a complete description of what heaven was like, don't you think he would have entrusted that revelation 
to the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian, greatest writer of the New Testament, instead of some four-year-old kid? I mean, don't you think that's what God would have done if he wanted us to know? God said, no, don't write any of it down. Why did God say that? Why has God restricted the information we have about heaven? I think there may be two reasons. I think, first of all, God knows that heaven is so far beyond our imagination. What God has in store for us is so glorious, human words can only diminish the glory of heaven. There is no human vocabulary to describe what God is preparing for you and me. It's the same reason God says, don't make any graven images of me. Don't make any molding or sculpting or don't draw any pictures of me because all that does is diminish who I really am. And I think the second reason God doesn't want us to really know what awaits us in heaven is he knows that if we knew what was awaiting us, we couldn't wait to get out of here. If we really knew what was up there. I think that's why Paul said in Philippians, because he saw it. He said, I'm really torn for me to live as Christ, but to die is great gain. And I'm hard pressed to know whether I really want to stay or I want to go. He said, the only motivation for staying is to fulfill the purpose God has for us these brief few years on life. What does all of this mean? What does it all mean? Well, very simply, there are no biblical accounts of near-death experiences. Am I saying that God could never allow somebody to have an experience like this? Look, I don't want to put God in a box. God can do whatever he wants to do. But as you look at scripture, the weight of evidence is against these near-death experiences. Everything we need to know about our eternal home is found in this book. The Bible is sufficient. And in the days ahead, we're going to discover some stirring and surprising truths about that place God is preparing for you right now. It's that place called heaven. Heaven. 